Well, today will be our last time to see that little plant, I hope it's not a weed, uh, push its way up through the concrete because we finished the book of 1 Peter today. If you would, go ahead and get your Bible and go to 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter's got some really important things to say to us today. Before we do that, I, I did want to comment on what an incredible week we've had. I'll just do it with pictures. First of all, see this picture from all of our folks who went to camp. They had a great week. Rob Sellers did an amazing job dreaming about that and making it happen. And then Thursday night, gridiron, one of our very best gridiron, packed house, inspirational, convicting speakers. Thank God for that. And Brian Davis did an amazing job heading that up. On top of that, uh, quite a few of you showed up yesterday at Halcyon School to get that school ready. And uh, Neil McDivitt headed that up. We got incredible things going on in Friends Speak right now. It's just exploding. This opportunity for us to teach people God's Word as we teach them English. And so, um, man, it's just an exciting time to be a part of this church. On top of that, there's so many new people with us. We are absolutely thrilled. God's working in a great way. As we close out Peter, the book of 1 Peter, He's got a warning for us that I think is extremely important because, look at the verse, 1 Peter 5, verse 8, because Satan is so good at what he does that we need to be aware. Like right now, we we say, man, there are so many good things going on. God's moving, and he is. But I've always noticed when God starts moving in our church, Satan starts attacking. On the other hand, he's good enough at what he does that if right now your life is in a bad time, he'll try to take advantage of that. And that's why Peter says, the last thing I need to say to you guys is you need to be aware. Listen as I read 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That someone is you. It's me. Now, guys, this verse is so important for our final study here. I want you to say it out loud with me and read it with me. Let's all all participate. Go with me right now. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We started eight weeks ago with this line about the new reality we live in in America. We live in hostility. Many people today are not just disinterested in Christianity, they are openly hostile to it. And that's why this study's been so important, because Peter is writing a bunch of Christians in the hostile Roman culture. I can't think of anything that's more timely than what we've done these last few weeks. And so as Peter closes this letter, uh, there's a few things I think he wants us to understand. First of all, he wants us to know who our real enemy is. It's Satan. You see, um, Satan has been defeated by Jesus on the cross. When Jesus comes back, he'll be cast in hell forever. But between then and now, he's trying to do the next best thing is to defeat us. And you see what Peter wants us to see after all this book is behind the curtain, is all this spiritual warfare going on. And he wants us to recognize that. Now, he also, 
He doesn't want us to fight the wrong enemy. Now listen, Rome is actively persecuting Christians, but Peter never focuses on Rome or even this government. He focuses on the enemy. And one thing that we've got to be aware of right now, with all that's happening in our culture, our enemy is not our leaders, it's not our culture, it's not the people in the other party. Our enemy behind it all is Satan. Listen to what David Young said in a book called Resilient about these times. If we're standing against the onslaught of hostility coming our way, we must absolutely understand that the battle we face is a spiritual one. We're not fighting against social media, licensing boards, HR departments, politicians, political parties, etc. Not ultimately anyway. We are fighting against demons, principalities, and powers of this dark world who are merely using physical authorities to seek to destroy us. Because, listen to me, the people we look at as our enemies in this culture, we don't fight to destroy them. We fight for them. Our enemy is Satan. And Paul wants us to know that. I read another preacher who said something very convicting to me the other day. He says, you know what really gets me? It really gets me that some of my members will go out into the streets and yell all sorts of things against their political enemies, raising all kinds of heck. But these same people will not get off their rear ends and walk next door to disciple their neighbor. Can I get an amen there? Guys, our victory is going to be found by winning people to Jesus. If we think we're going to, I'm not saying we don't get involved in those other things, but that's not where the real victory is going to be won. We've got to be leading people to Christ. And that's why Peter says, and he commands us to be watchful. Because here, here, after all this book, what he's saying is, guys, behind all of this we've addressed in this hostile culture, there is an unseen enemy, and he says, you've got to watch out. Now, again, when Peter writes this, I think he's taken back to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus, in the roughest point of his existence, where he says to Peter and his friends, I need you guys to stay awake, and I need you to watch and pray. And Peter fell asleep. And Peter's trying to teach us not to do what he did. He's telling us we need to be alert and awake and pray. So this morning, as we go through chapter 5, here's the way I look at this. I think we come to a four-way stop. You know, if you have children and they're about to cross the street, what do you teach them? Stop and look what? Both ways. What Peter's saying to us is, we got a four-way stop. You need to stop and look always. Now, most of us don't like four-way stops. They were invented by a man in Detroit in 1920. If he weren't dead by now, I'd like to shoot him, right? Because I look at it as four-way yield signs, okay? I'm really bad about not coming to complete stop. And that's dangerous because guess this. When they put a four-way stop at an intersection, it cuts down on accidents 45%. And what Peter's saying to us is if we will come to these four stops today and think about it, it will cut down on Satan's effectiveness in 
our life. So, let me give you those. Number one, look to one another. Now, last week, we studied a verse where Peter says, above all, in other words, let me get your attention, above everything else I've told you in this book, love each other. You, you see, Satan's tactic is isolation. And, and, and what Peter's saying here, what he said back in the last chapter, is, guys, you got to have each other. Listen, I don't care how talented an athlete you are. If you go on a basketball court by yourself to play five, you're going to be you're going to be defeated. Or you go on a football field one on eleven, you're going to be obliterated. And if you go on a battlefield in this war by yourself, you will not make it. And that's why he says, guys, in all of your priorities in life, one of the top ones is you love each other. And when we get to the first four verses of chapter 5, he says there's even a safety net in our churches. We call them elders, overseers, shepherds. If you want to go in depth on this, I preached a, a sermon on this back in the spring. But, but, but what is the leadership of the church about? It's about shepherding. What, what does a shepherd do? A shepherd guides, a shepherd provides, and a shepherd protects. And guys, in our church, we have 12 shepherds. We're blessed with an amazing group of men to shepherd our church. And guys, what they do is to try to protect us. They do to try to say, hey, buddy, if you're going in the wrong direction, man, can, can, can I come help pull you back in? If you're doing good, can I applaud you? And that's why, guys, a, a local church is so important. Because if Satan can get you out there by yourself, he can pick you off. Everybody biblically needs to be in a church, and Peter even says it, under subjection to a spiritual godly leadership. Because sometimes we become blind to what's going on in our life. And Peter says, you've been given this group of shepherds so that you will be taken care of. Now, under this first point, I've got to say this. Satan works overtime to give you and me an excuse to stay disconnected from a church. Because think about the reputation of church today. He's, he's going to work overtime. Why? Because he knows if he can keep you disconnected, he can get you. And so what does he do? We get hurt in church. Sometimes we don't agree with things in church. Sometimes someone doesn't speak to us or someone doesn't pay attention to us. Or we're not called when we think we should have been called. And he's going to use all of those things to say, you know what? Stay away from that. And what a wise move by Satan, because he can get you upset enough to disconnect yourself. He, what you've got to remember is they aren't perfect, neither are you perfect, and we've got to have each other. And so he's going to work overtime that you don't stop at this point right now and go, you know what, am I connected to a church? Number two, let's look at verses six and seven. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. Let's stop there just for a second. Timing is a big issue in the book of 1 Peter, okay? It, but why is it a big issue? Because when you're going through suffering, God's timing is not normally what we want, okay? I mean, God normally doesn't do things when we think he should. Ask Joseph. He's sold into slavery. for. He's there for 13 years before his family shows up. Ask Moses. He makes a mistake. He's exiled to the desert for 40 years. Ask Jesus. He doesn't start his preaching ministry until he's 30 years old. 
Timing is so key, and often we get upset with God's timing. But what Peter says is, wait, at the proper time, he'll exalt you. Now, verse 7, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. You may need it today. I need it today. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Love that verse. So what is stop number two? Look up to God. While you're looking, look to God. You see, Satan's tactic under point two is anxiety. Every statistic says today, we live in a culture with an epidemic of anxiety. If I asked us to raise our hands today, how many of you deal with anxiety? I think it would be overwhelming. Because, guys, we do live in difficult times. And the easiest thing for me is to internalize it and become an anxious person. Now, I don't know if that describes you. And if I could be frank with you this morning, I've, I've never thought I was an anxious person. I think I normally handle things pretty coolly and calmly. But over the last year, I've come to the conclusion, I've really been dealing with a lot of anxiety. And I told you a few months ago that I was having trouble sleeping. Thank you for your prayers. I'm sleeping much better. What I found out is, man, when I'm taking all the news and I'm seeing what's happening in our culture, when I'm seeing what's happening in Christianity and so many churches that are closing, I mean, I've been internalizing that anxiety. Now, I don't know what you get anxious about, but if you're dealing with anxiety, Peter has some advice for you. What is it? Cast all your cares on him. Well, why would you do that? Because he cares for you. First thing I've got to convince you is that he cares for you. We're going to celebrate communion at the end of this service. If anything says to you and I, he cares for you, it's what Jesus did on the cross. So what do you do? He says cast. It's the same word used for fishermen in a pond when he casts a lure. You cast it as far as you can. You throw it. You chunk it. You get it away from you. And, and what Peter's saying is when you are dealing with anxiety, which is one of the devil's greatest attacks, throw it on God. And, and the greatest power we have to do this, that's the way we do this, is we pray. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, Paul basically says, take your worry list and make it your what? Your prayer list. Let me ask you, what are you worrying about right now? Here's what Satan's going to try to do. He's going to try to keep you off your knees. I'll remind you of something we said a year ago. Knees before feet, before you get out of bed on your feet, hit your knees and just go ahead at the beginning of the day and throw it all on God. You can't handle it. He can handle it. Just say to him, I have to, Lord, I can't handle this. I don't understand this. I don't like this. I wish I could do something about it, but it's too crazy. You've got to handle it. And so we must look up to God. And then look at verses 8 and 9, back to our key verse. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around. What vivid imagery. He prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that all kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world Stop sign number three. Look out, my friends, for the devil. Now, now, what's the word devil mean? The word devil literally means slanderer, accuser. 
And, and all, all, already twice in this book, he's talked about people slandering Christians. And what he's trying to say to you guys is behind the slander, behind people who make fun of us, behind people who revile us, is the great, the great slanderer Satan. He is, uh, Revelation says, he's the accuser of the brethren. And if he can't get people around us to accuse us, here's what I see happen in my life, is I start having accusations in my mind. He starts telling me I'm not enough, I'm not going to make it, I can't overcome that temptation. He does that all the time. One of our speakers at, at Gridiron this week is Dan Orlovsky. And everybody knows him from that prayer he led when DeMar Hamlin was about to die from the heart failure he had on the field. And on ESPN, he just broke out in a prayer. I was thankful to hear from Dan that he didn't get flack from ESPN. But here's what he did say. He said, after that great high and people throughout the country saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, that was the right thing to do. He said he was attacked in his mind. He was attacked in his marriage. And I know every time things start going really good in my life, Satan knows that weak spot. And it may be in my mind, it might be in my marriage, it might be in a friendship, you name it. But Satan is going to do it. And what, what Peter is saying to us is you need to be looking out for that. You need to look at that closely. Because here, here's the problem. Satan's tactic is disguise. Here's what Paul says. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Isn't that crazy? He comes to you, but he looks like a friend to help you. Or, Paul also says, he blinds the hearts of the unbelievers. In other words, guys, if we don't take Satan serious... He's got us. And the problem for you and I is we live in a, a Western culture that puts ultimate faith in reason and logic and what we can see. That's why if you go to Eastern cultures or African cultures, Satan is much more real to them. Demonic powers are much more evident because they believe in them. And what Satan says to you and I is if we can just cover up what he's doing, if he can disguise himself, if he can not only make good things look bad and make bad things look good, he can make us think he doesn't even exist. We are completely vulnerable to his attack. And that's why Peter says, you've got to recognize him. I think he's actually saying, you've got to respect him and you've got to resist him. Now, can I ask you in your life, I ask myself this, am, am I aware of Satan's activity? Does everything I just attribute to, you know, that was just bad luck, or I'm just having a bad day, or I just got this struggle, or, you know, somebody did, no, 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 no. Here, here's what Peter's begging us to do, is to look beyond all of these things. Look beyond the curtain and see the spiritual warfare. I'm asking you, are you aware of what Satan is doing in your life right now? That stops on number three. And number four, let's go one more set of verses, 10 and 11. Here we go back to that time issue. After you've suffered a little while, are you suffering today? 
listen to this promise. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. Let's stop one more time. Stop sign number four. Look inside for strength. You see, Satan's tactic on this stop sign is for you to doubt yourself. Oh, you know, there's two extremes here. Either you can just be blinded by Satan like he doesn't exist and you don't even take him for real, or on the other hand, you can take him too seriously that you think he's got more power than you can handle. And what Peter wants you to know is that you have a power within you that is greater than the power of Satan. Listen to these four words he said. Restore, confirm, strengthen, establish. My friends, that is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And that we need to look inward to believe we have the strength. Now, this is so cool in the original language. Those four words are symbolic of the medals on a decorated war hero. In other words, someone who's been through this, someone who's kept trusting God, someone who believes that God's victorious, they wear the medals of restoration, confirmation, strength, and to be firm and to be established. And guys, I'll say it again. Satan works full time for you not to believe in the Holy Spirit in your life because that's the power. So let's review real quickly what we've said so far. We are to look up to one another. We are look, look to one another. We are to look up to God. We're to look out for Satan, and we're to look inside for strength. Here's what I want you to know: In Jesus, victory is assured. There's no question. If you and I will bring ourselves close to Jesus, this battle is not only possibly winnable; it is guaranteed winnable. But what Satan wants is for us to have a superficial faith. You're about to hear it described as the demonic faith. That's not really connected. Now, I'm about to play you a clip from Rick Burgess, who was with us two weeks ago. And again, like I said last Sunday, it was one of the most convicting messages I've ever heard. And he went to this passage in Acts 19 I've read, but I've never paid attention to. And I want you to watch what he says about this as we begin to conclude. So here's what they did, and I want you to listen to this. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so even handkerchiefs or aprons that, he tu- that touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and, and, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the, uh, of the Jewish exorcists undertook to evoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. Now listen to this. The seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva, listen to this, they were the ones doing this. And so they decided to say what Paul says. Listen to this. They undertook the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. So picture them, they come up to this person with a demon and they say, we're gonna do what Paul did. We're gonna say in the name of Jesus, come out of this man. Shouldn't that work? 
Don't, don't, we, don't we hear that the demons tremble at the name of Jesus, right? But, but look what happens. But the evil spirit answered them, and don't miss this, cultural Christian. Jesus I know. Wait a minute, so the demons know who Jesus is? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, when the disciples can't figure out who he is, the demons say, say it right every single time. Every time they encounter demons, they call Jesus the son of God, the son of the most high. Hey, don't, it's not, it's not time for you to put us in the abyss. Please don't put us in the abyss. Put us in the pigs. They get Jesus right every single time. So I would be real careful in here. Some of you may not have a redeeming faith. You may just have a demonic faith. I did for over 20 years. There was no fruit of Jesus in my life. I just believed the same things about Jesus that demons believe. James talks about this in chapter two. He says, so you believe in the Trinity, big whoops, so do the demons. And they shudder at the sound of it. But he says, the way you're living your life doesn't look like Jesus is flowing out of y'all at all. But look, look what happens. Jesus I know and Paul I recognize. A little demotion for Paul, but he makes the list. But here comes the bad, which you don't want a demon to say to you. But who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, all seven of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Well, Rick, what's going on here? I'll tell you what's going on. The name of Jesus has no power in the hands of people that don't belong to him. Paul, I recognize. You know why people were, demons were fleeing when Paul called the name of Jesus? Because he belonged to Jesus. But these seven sons didn't belong to Jesus. All they did was say the name of Jesus. And in their hands, it had no power. So let me ask you a tough question. Your house right now, demons are ready to ransack your house. And you run into your house after watching demons destroying your children, destroying your wife, and you start screaming, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, leave my family alone. Well, I sure hope those demons don't say, Jesus, we know. Paul, we recognize. Who are you? When did you become all sanctimonious about Jesus? You certainly never have been. You know what they're going to tell you? You're a joke. We'll, we'll, we'll do anything in this house we want to. The name of Jesus in your hands has no power because let me tell you something, Hoss, you don't belong to him. I don't know the answer to that, but I bet you do. If you don't care about this and Jesus is something that's on the back burner of your life that you get to for over a cultural obligation most Sundays, if it doesn't rain, are you not late getting back from the game or the hunt or the golf or the whatever is your true God? Travel ball? Do you see Babylon B? Dad concern that church may interfere with travel ball schedule. This is really important. This is, have you seen this society out here? Are you ready to defend your children and your wife against all this? 
Nobody can replace you. You may be trying to farm it out to somebody else, but that's a grave mistake. I left that moment so convicted. I don't, I don't want to just say the right things. I don't want to just say, in the name of Jesus, or come to church and just sing the right things. I want to be connected to Jesus. In view of the warfare we're in, we need to draw as close to Jesus as possible. So, guys, the question is not God's ability. That's settled. The question is not even of God's love for you. That's settled. The question is, am I walking with him? Because with him, there's victory possible. Look at this passage from 1 John chapter 2. It says so much about what God can do. It says, greater is he. Let me read the whole thing. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Listen closely. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. Don't listen to this message and think, oh, my goodness. Satan's got everything. He's got me, and there's no choice. No, no, no. My friends, guaranteed, God's got the power to deliver you, to use you, to deliver your family. But for us, we've got to come to these stop signs and think. Guys, listen, if Satan can get you in and out of this place today without really thinking about your life, without asking these questions at these stop signs, without slowing down enough to go, am I really looking into my brothers and sisters? Am I looking to them for strength? Or am I trying to live this on my own? Am I, I looking up to God? I guarantee there's a lot of folks in this room right now, you're struggling with anxiety. The answer is give it to God. Am I honestly looking out for Satan? Or I've been so blinded that he's just running all over me. And am I making sure I'm looking inward to the power of the Holy Spirit. So today, we're about to sing a song. It's an awesome song about how great God is. And today, if you find yourself drifting from God, or you've been so busy, you're not, you didn't try to rebel against God. You didn't choose. You just, you've just been running through some four-way stops. <laughs> you've been yielding where you should have stopped and thought about it. That's what today's about. If today's the day like Caden Donaldson in first service, that you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus and be baptized, meet us up here. If today's the day that you need to say, you know what, I I need to stop and think, and I want to put a marker down on this front row today that things are going to be different. Or maybe today you've walked in here with great anxiety about so many things, and it's time that you join us in just a moment, and let's cast it on God. Because listen closely to me. Listen closely to Peter. He cares for you. Are you tired of just having a demonic faith that just says the right thing but doesn't live the right thing? Today could be a turning day. If we can help you, come right now while we stand and sing. Flee to you, exhorting, boy, he's done that, and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is Babylon, that's probably his reference to Rome, God's people have been in exile in Babylon, and now they feel in exile in modern Rome. We feel in exile sometimes in our own country. 
who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. So does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you are in Christ. Fascinating. He started chapter 1 by extending peace, and he closes in chapter 5 saying the same thing. But I, I think we've got to be honest here for a moment. Peter has been that rugged old fisherman we know him to be. And, and if you've been listening, he's been challenging. Uh, so many of you said to me on your way out many Sundays, boy, that lesson stepped all over my toes. And, and I, my toes are bleeding too. And, and honestly, nobody leaves a sermon series like this feeling like they nailed it. Because it's challenged us to the core. But here's what I want you to understand about this challenge. This challenge was not written to make you and I feel like failures, but it was written to take our eyes off ourselves and for us to put it on the one who is full of grace and truth. Now listen to the way the New Living Translation translates verse 12. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that what you're experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. Peter says, instead, if you don't understand, if you think I'm trying to put you on a guilt trip, that's not what I'm trying to do at all. I, I'm trying to point you back to the gospel, to the grace of God, where you need to stand firm. Now, sometimes we have a very limited view of grace. In the Bible, grace is not just what saves you. Grace is what sustains you, and grace is what equips you. They're all gifts of God. Now, I, I challenge you this week to, to just read back through this book and notice, I'm not going to do this this morning, all the times he goes back to the cross and the resurrection over and over and over again. No matter how he's challenged us, he always brings us back to this great combination of grace and truth. And I hope that's what you've heard through this series. Incredible truth that should wake us up, get our attention, but grace that should give us an assurance of our salvation and of the power we have in Christ. I, I love this book because it's come, alive, it's come alive to me in a whole new way. And it's, it's sort of silly because the first time I've really read through it and preached through it, remembering on every line that it's Peter who wrote. Because, guys, not only is this book a great book about grace, Peter's life. How ironic that the one who ran instead of suffering is now writing us the manual of how to suffer. That's only by the grace of God. I'm embarrassed to say, I said this to RSVP Wednesday night, man, that's, that's so powerful what God's doing in that room. I didn't first understand grace by understanding Galatians or Romans. That's the way you should. I didn't get it. I understood grace by watching Jesus and how he treated Peter. And that's what I love about this. We see Peter on the other side. And as we come to the communion table right now, I pray as you take communion, you're able to, to look in yourself and see what's going on and be honest. But have honesty and even conviction in the security of grace. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this book. Thank you for the life of Simon Peter, 
who gives us hope. And Lord, as we meet